3: Hello and welcome to Just Films and That, with me, Josh Hallam.
2: And me, Alice Oliver. This is the podcast where we talk about films that we think are underrated, underappreciated, or we just wanted to talk about them.
3: We're also going to get stuck into some classic films that one of us maybe hasn't seen, and maybe throw in some great guests along the way. So we'll start with a random question as we do every week. Alice, what is the worst weather or what is your least favourite weather?
2: So the one that I find does really affect me a lot and and makes me a little bit frustrated and I didn't really notice it until I got a job that involved tons of driving. But you know, in the winter, so it's when it's just rained and then the sun comes out, so you've got that low down sun that just completely blinds you. And because it's just rained, you've got that thin layer of water on the roads that then reflects the sunlight into your eyes. So you've got the sun blinding you from above and then the road blinding you from below. And obviously this has always been a problem, but it wasn't until I became a journalist when I'd spend like so much time on the road that, I actually, I was like, oh my God, this is hell on earth. Yeah. So, I mean, sunglasses, absolute must. But there'd be days where I'd forget my sunglasses like in the middle of December or whatever. And I'd be like, oh my God, this is horrendous. Like you're in the slow lane doing 55 because you're like, oh God, to crash." <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, I find that's the most annoying one. What, what about you? What
3: would you call oh, that sort of weather?
2: With, like, just with, like winter sunshine, I guess, isn't it? Do you know what it
3: is? It's like, it's rainbow weather, isn't it? It's like oh, when, when, definitely. when it's a bit of mist and it's the it's it's the fine rain that soaks you through. Remember, remember that from nineteen ninety seven. That joke, um, but still going, it's, it's, it's still yeah, it's still going, still, still going. It's fine <laughs> rain that soaks you through. But it, and then it's like when a rainbow comes out in it. When it's like misty and it's sunny as well. It's that sort of thing in it. I know what you mean. That is a nightmare. It is scary when you're on the motorway or just oh, driving it's awful. in general.
2: And it's but it's and then it's coming from everywhere and then if and then even if the sun's behind you, you don't get a break because then the sun it shines off the back of the car in front of you and it's like oh my god, I cannot see a bloody thing. Um, but yeah, but but and it's a shame as well because I love a good rainbow. Like I'm always happy when I see a rainbow in the sky. Who, who, yeah. who, who
3: doesn't? Well, so Four. what's yours? So mine is probably when it's really windy.
2: Oh yeah, I, like I don't yeah, yeah. know what it is. Blows
3: your but... hair everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, you know, this hair requires a lot of maintenance, and <laughs> you know, a little bit of wind. No, do you know? When it, it, I just feel like when it's windy, everything's really hard to do. You can't. Just, <laughs> yeah. You know, if you like get out the car and you've got shopping and you're like blowing everywhere or taking the bins out, blowing everywhere, walking to work. A... So I cycle to work, and it's like cycling. I've been cycling in the wind, and I genuinely have thought I'm gonna I'm gonna pass out. Mm-hmm. Like it's so it's so windy I'm going to pass out. So yeah, for me really, and 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 talking about driving on the motorway, I mean second to the sun in your eyes and a and and rainbow winter sun or whatever it is we were saying, really windy. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. especially if
2: you're in a smaller kind of lighter car as well, and you feel like. So I I used to uh, drive motorbikes, and there was one time. I, oh, yeah, I used to be cool, Has, man. That's just come up now. Have you? Have I never talked about the fact that I used to drive motorbikes? Surely I've mentioned it. I feel like I would definitely mention it. Oh, when I was younger, you know. Um, but I just remember there's one time that really stands out in my head. I must have been, I was 17 or 18, and I was driving back from somewhere. It was a Sunday morning, and the wind was so just so unbelievably ferocious that I had to kind of lie down on the motorbike because while I was upright, it was blowing me over. That was the craziest thing. Also, once drove my motorbike in freezing fog, and that was also horrendous. Not just because the the visibility was bad, but I got home and my hands were probably the most numb they've ever been. And I don't know if you've ever had properly, properly numb hands, but when the feeling starts coming back into him. The pain is just unbelievable. Like when they're numb and they're still cold, it's not too bad. But when they start heating up again, holy shit, it was absolute agony.
3: So we'll move on to talking about this week's film, which is uh, Gentleman Preferred Blondes from uh, 1953. So if you haven't had a chance to see it in the uh, 60-odd years since it was released, then. Uh, spoilers. Um, so, Alice, <laughs> you picked this one. Uh, it's another classic film, as you said last week. So, what's it about and why did you pick it?
2: So, the story follows our two main characters, Dorothy and Lorelei who are played by Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe. Uh, so, Marilyn Monroe's character, Lorelei, she is going out with a young man called Gus and she really wants to marry him in France, but his dad doesn't want him to marry her. So she says she'll go off to France anyway and she'll wait for him there. So she and Dorothy go to France on a boat. So we follow them on the journey across the sea and then follow their escapades as they're in Paris. They do some shopping, they do some performing. Oh, they're showgirls, by the way, should have mentioned that as well. Uh, And we just kind of follow their sort of um, their adventure really across the Atlantic and then back again. Um, I picked this one because, so I did want to do another classic film. I just felt like the past two times when we did did The Great Dictator and Meet Me in St. Louis and both times I just felt I don't don't even know how to explain it. You just feel like you're watching something special. Mm. Like these films that people kind of talk about all the time or they're kind of just really in pop culture. So I was like, yeah, I want to do another classic one. And I was really keen to do a Marilyn Monroe film, who is obviously one of the most iconic human beings that ever existed. Um, And I nearly picked some like it hot because I had seen that one before and I really enjoyed it but I thought no I should pick one that I haven't seen so that's why I went with gentlemen Preferred blondes uh Josh had you seen this one before
3: No no I hadn't seen this one I'd heard of it obviously it's a very it's it's almost like there are bits of the film and the title and stuff are more famous than the actual film itself really so I'd heard of the I'd heard of the um I've heard of it new marilyn monroe was in it and other than that I went in with no expectations because I didn't really know much about it so it's quite interesting to go into a classic film a little bit like Meet Me in St. Louis I guess um with no expectations and to sort of sit down and 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 try and look at it with a 2021 eye I guess.
2: Mm. Yeah definitely and interesting that you do kind of pick up on things where it's like, oh, I didn't know that was from this. Like the yeah. famous song, "Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend." I didn't realize that that was in this film, so that was interesting to find out. And some of the quotes as well. I was, I, you know, when you just see people like posting quotes on Facebook or whatever, <laughs> and it, I was just like, oh, that's from this. How interesting! It's just funny how some of these classics really do, like even decades, decades later, like they've still got a grasp on like current culture today. Mm-hmm. Um so uh what did you think coming away from it?
3: Yeah, so overall, I I think I, I think it's fair to say I enjoyed it. There's quite a few things I liked about it. I thought um Do you know what? I don't even know if I knew it was a musical. No, until, I d- I definitely until, didn't until until yeah. I um until I started watching, obviously it starts as a musical. It's like ban. It's based on a stage musical, isn't it? So it's quite clear that that is. It's quite. It's quite. It seems to be quite a faithful adaptation. But yeah, like the script, thought there's some good performances. Thought some of the good. There was some really good musical numbers. Those are the sort of the the three main things. I think there there are issues as well, which will which will come to. But it was a lot. It was a lot funnier than I expected it to be. So like, there's a there's a really good. It's sort of a little bit. There's a, there's some farce elements in there as well, some sort of physical comedy that I that I really didn't expect. I don't know why I didn't expect it, but I, I just didn't. So there's a scene where um uh, Laura Lee, Laura Lie, I can't I'm I can not commit to one oh, of them. Lo- Laura, so
2: it's Laura Lai, isn't it? Because is it's it? Laura Lie Lee. Oh and then yeah, her surname yeah. is Lee, so Laura yeah. Lai,
3: played by Marilyn Monroe, is is um is stuck in a in a window in a window on the ship. A lot of oh, a, yeah. lot of it is set on a ship, and she's stuck in the window of a ship. And there's a young boy. And he um, helps her because she's sort of being pursued by this sort of leery older man, isn't she? And he um, and she's stuck in is she stuck in his his cabin's window because she's trying to get something or something. I like don't that? think
2: it's his. I think she's in. So there's a PI basically who's following her to make sure that she doesn't misbehave or cause a scandal while she's it. on this trip. That's it. Uh, so the PI has been hired by Gus, so her boyfriend's father, mm. um, and she's. They've kind of she and Dorothy are kind of catching on what he's there for, like he's been taking pictures of her. so then she goes into his room to find the film role of pictures he's been taking. and then she gets locked in that room. she hasn't found the film role. she gets locked in and she tries to escape through the window, but obviously she gets stuck and then yeah, yeah the young boy sort of sees her and so gets a blanket and sort of holds it so it it just it makes it look like that she's just sort of standing on the rail. And he's like, "Why are you standing up there?" Yeah. And she's like, "Oh, the view is just so much nicer up here." Yeah, that was it.
3: Yeah, and she and so he's doing like her hand movements and stuff. So this uh, this sort of old man is talking to her, and he's um, she, she she appears to have little boys' hands and stuff like that, and he like kisses her hands, and he speaks through the blanket, and then she that you know it's that fast thing, that mistaken identity sort of you know characters muddling on through sort of thing. I thought that was really funny. I thought there's some really good sort of there's a really good. Um, there's a juxtaposition between Dorothy and Laura Lorelai, which is so Dorothy's sort of really sarcastic and a little bit world weary and sort of like much more acerbic and puts people down and and, and then and then you've got Lorelai as well, who's a little bit more um like, her her sense of humor comes from a little bit more being... I don't want to say she's, like, being stupid, but it's almost like uh, Dorothy's educating Lorelei on a lot of the stuff that they see. So I thought that was really interesting, how they got the two different portrayals of, of the of the two lead female characters. Like you say, there's some really good lines in it, things like, um, I, I can be smart when it's important, but men don't like it. I thought that was, like, quite a sort of oddly progressive line for a film from the 50s, really. And I believe that was actually Marilyn Monroe's idea to put that line in, um, or so the internet says, anyway. Um, (laughs) And so I really enjoyed that. You've got, you know, and you've also got, like, you know, the really striking blonde and the really sort of femme fatale, exotic-looking brunette. I thought that was really interesting. The way that they, um, they, I think they just have a really good chemistry, the two leads. They just bounce off each other really well. What did you think of the script?
2: Oh, yeah, I thought it was really funny. My first note is just funny. Like, there was so much about it that I enjoyed. And like you say, just some of the lines were fantastic, So mostly from uh, Lorelai. So I did write some of my favourites down. Um, So one of them is, I just love finding new places to wear diamonds. (laughs) Love that one. Uh, There was another moment where, I think it's the PI who then becomes Dorothy's love interest. He's talking about how he collects coupons. And Lorelai's like, coupons? That's like money, isn't it? (laughs) because she is very money-obsessed. Something that she's very open and honest about. Um, And then the final one I put down, because she's trying to get hold of a diamond tiara that belongs to the wife of a diamond miner. And she says, a kiss on the hand... Oh, she says it's something like, it's like I always say, a kiss on the hand may feel really good, but a diamond tiara lasts forever. And there was (laughs) just so much of this ongoing throughout. And like you say, with with Dorothy and Lorelai together, they are just like yin and yang. Like, they're Mm. just... They're so fiercely loyal to one another, and I felt like that really came through, and I really enjoyed that. Because um, Lorelai gets like she gets found out, like she basically she steals the diamond tiara that she really wants. Or, or actually, does the man give it to her? Is it Mister Pig Big, Bigby? The, the elderly um, diamond miner. Yeah, he gives her the diamond tiara, but she does persuade him and she uses her sort of feminine charms to try and persuade him to give it to her. But then the police come onto her and they want to take her to court. But then Dorothy stands in her place and goes to court instead. Mm. And I was like, what a great friend. What a
3: great friend to do that. Well, that's another element of farce, isn't it? Like, I mean, like you say, first of all, they're so, I think the word I was looking for when I was trying to describe the juxtaposition between them is they're so likable. Mm. They're really likable characters. But that scene at the end where Dorothy is pretending to be Lorelai, that's like your classic farce thing, isn't it? Dressing up as another character and and pretending to be them and doing an impression of them and all that sort of stuff. And I love that. I thought that was hilarious. That was really, really funny.
2: Oh, yeah, it was a great moment. I thought Dorothy... Jane Russell was just fabulous. And I have no idea who she is. It's so strange. Like, Marilyn Monroe, we all know, you know, the image, the voice, everything. And Jane Russell, I was like, I have no idea who this person is, but I thought she was wonderful. Just brilliant to watch and a brilliant actor. Um, The other thing, I because I did really like them both as characters, and the thing is with Lorelai, I felt like she comes across as ditzy, but she's not helpless. She mm. knows what she wants. She's very forthright. She, she knows she wants a man with money, and that that is the thing that's going to make her happy. And that's fine. Like, she knows that's what she wants and she's being very obvious about that. Mm. You'd have to be a pretty daft 70-year-old diamond miner to think <laughs> that a woman who looks like Marilyn Monroe wants you for your personality. Mm. And what is what is the age difference there? 50 years, maybe? Something so like it's that. more fool him if he falls for that. Um, and then, obviously, you've got Dorothy, who's actually after someone more physically striking. She wants a good-looking man, someone who can run faster than she can. So that's a quite nice sort of bounce we've got between those two. I liked as well that you kind of get equal parts male gaze and female gaze. Yeah. Obviously, it's all about Dorothy and Lorelai. They look wonderful. They wear some amazing outfits. But then, for a good sort of section, you've got the male Olympic, well, the Olympic swim team, who are completely topless. I think they're wearing just like these little short trunks and they do like a whole dance routine where Dorothy's character walks among them and she's standing up and they're lying on the floor. They're doing all this acrobatics and stuff. But she was like completely in control of that sort of scene and I really, that situation. Yeah, I really enjoyed, uh,
3: not, just, not just little shorts, skin colored shorts as well. So it literally yes, looks so like they're Billy yeah. really Bollocks at certain points, doesn't it?
2: So many topless It was a men. lot more,
3: um, not, I don't want to say like, this is probably the wrong way of saying it but it was a lot more like sexually explicit than i thought a film from the 50s would be when you think of the f- of films in the 50s you do think of like the background being sort of mccarthyism and everything being a bit more family wholesome and everything being a bit more you can't say that or or you know a little bit more i suppose repressed so i was quite surprised and really enjoyed the fact that you've got two really sort of um i guess sexually confident female leads and like you say, you've got, you know, topless men and, and all that sort of stuff. I didn't expect that. I thought it would be a little bit more not family friendly or wholesome because it's not like, you know, it's not there's no sex in it or anything like that. But, but I was quite surprised at how much that was a part of it and how much I enjoyed that. Yeah,
2: I think, I think same here. And I think because obviously thinking about sort of Meet Me in St. Louis, like that was very much, it was very much family friendly and yeah. very much kind of a you experience. Whereas this was, you know, maybe a PG, maybe yeah. into the 12s, Ooh. do you know what I mean? Um, but no, yeah, good that we got kind of both sides of it. And there's a moment where Laura uh, lie and Dorothy are about to board the, Uh, the boat across the Atlantic to France and the Olympic team see them for the first time and they all kind of like you know bend over sort of eyes popping out of their head like oh my god who are those women kind of just like really kind of lechy leery guys but it doesn't phase the women at all Mm. like they're so they're just so confident in themselves and like even when they are sort of if if they are being kind of sexualized and whatever they just they just kind of take it in their stride, and they don't let it affect them. They just kind of deal with it. But they are showgirls, so I suppose they're they are used to yeah. that. Like they're used to dancing on stage, wearing maybe not very much clothing for probably predominantly male audiences. Um, but they just they just take it. They just take it on the chin. I really liked them. I thought they were two really great characters. They were.
3: They were so. Uh, they were so likable. They were. It's um... Yeah, they were they were just like you say, really confident, and that made them likable. So, but that's not what I I, I I have to be honest. It's not. I, I don't know if it's not what I expected, but I just it surprised me considering where it from the the decade it came from. I guess no,
2: but um, but yeah, definitely. But obviously, Marilyn Monroe, I guess, was as or maybe still is a, a sex symbol, isn't oh, she? Like she, is, she was yeah. like the the up girl, the, the sex suppose. symbol, isn't
3: she? She's is yeah. the blonde so bombshell you think of.
2: Wasn't she the first? Like, wasn't she the first fold for Playboy or something like I am, that? I imagine but, yeah. she must
3: have been something like that, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, when, you, when you think, you said to me, name a sex symbol or perhaps name a female sex symbol, it'd be Marilyn Monroe would be the, would be the first one I'd think of.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's it's interesting, like, because I didn't think to consider that when going into the film. But obviously, I guess maybe that's more sort of what she was known for. Um, so Marilyn Monroe's... Uh, So I don't know if you noticed, but her eyebrow game, right? So not the way her eyebrows looked, but the way she used them when she speaks. So they were just so animated. She did really good sort of single eyebrow, you know, like the rock. Can you spell that? The rock is cooking type eyebrows. And they would sort of be dancing. And I was like, that's really interesting what she's doing there, sort of from a performance point of view. Because I guess I kind of just expected her to be you know cuz w- when you're on camera or whatever you need your face to look a certain way the more you move your face the more it wrinkles the less flattering mm. it becomes but she was much more animated mm. uh, than I thought she was going to be
3: well, I guess she was that sort of she, like like we've said she's that original sort of almost blonde bombshell like ca- almost cartoony Hold
0: up
3: that cartoony type character where the the, the character she plays and the persona of the actress, her as a product, if you like, they go hand in hand. Um, So when you think of Marilyn Monroe, you don't really think of like one performance because she did what she did very, very well. And that sort of wide-eyed gaze, like you say, moving the eyebrows must have been part of it. I can't imagine there's many other podcasts that have compared Marilyn Monroe to The Rock.
2: Oh, I Uh, mean, well, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs)
3: So, obviously, it's a musical. What do you think of the musical numbers? Brilliant. Yeah. Loved them all. Thought
2: they were real toe-tappers. I think, like I said before, didn't know that Diamonds Were a Girl's Best Friend came from this film. Mm. Um, but yeah, they were all great. There wasn't too many of them. Uh, they weren't too long. I feel like sometimes musicals can overdo it. But with this, I feel like it just struck the perfect balance between action and and musical numbers. And they always... There was one, I believe, after... So when Gus finds out that uh, Lorelei has been not cheating on him, but has been sort of wooing this older gentleman uh, because of his diamonds and because of his wealth, uh, he cuts her off financially. So then she and uh, Dorothy are stuck in Paris with no money. So they go to this cafe and there's a musical number there. That one, I feel felt the most kind of out of place mm. and was a bit like I, I suppose i didn't enjoy that one as much but apart from that really great because it was usually when they were performing on stage doing one of their shows or there was a great one where they have that party towards the near of the film just after they have boarded the boat and dorothy invites the whole olympic swim team back to her room as well as some like various other people because she's just a fun loving girl <laughs> um and then another one when uh she's you know when they're doing their training and they're all topless and, and Dorothy's walking around them. Yeah, a good a real good few good few songs, I thought. Some real, some real, some real bangers.
3: <laughs> no, I'd agree. <laughs> I, I I think there's it starts and it's like BAM, you're in a musical, and there's this big glamorous opening number. But I and a lot of it's quite um jazzy, do you know what I mean? It's, there's not any like massive ballads where it's one person singing. A sort of quite sorrowful sounding song which you do get in a lot of musicals. So I quite like that. I think like I think pretty much every song was quite upbeat and and, and I enjoyed that. And like you say, they didn't use that many. There's a quite long periods without the songs. There's not that many of them. So they use sparingly and I think that's to the to the film's credit. I do like that thing of in musicals which you get where like Like the characters start singing and you can tell it's based on a stage play because random members of the public start joining in in what appear to be various different uniforms. So there's like, there's like, there's always like a soldier, a guy in the Navy, and then there'll be like a policeman or like, and then you get someone who's like just a milkman or a postman. Like
2: a bellboy. Yeah, just a a a, bellboy somewhere. A a bellboy
3: or whatever. Like, I, I love that. I think it's, it's so It's so of its time, but I think it's so funny.
2: I feel like also there was a real, like, appropriate amount of character development for everybody. Mm. Like you, you get like a bit of background about everyone. Like you get to know the PI a little bit, and he has sort of an interesting arc because he's a little bit made out to be the villain because obviously he's there to photograph Lorelai and her escapades. But at the end of the day, he's just there doing a job, like he's been yeah. hired to do something, and he's doing it. And he seems to really sort of fall for Dorothy, and kind of their relationship does seem to be genuine, even though at the beginning it started out as a way for him to keep tabs on Lorelei. But then at the end, he quits, doesn't he? So that he can be with Dorothy, yeah. and that he hasn't got a kind of answer to his to his boss anymore.
3: Yeah, it's almost like it's it's almost like there isn't really a, an antagonist. The closest thing to an, an antagonist would probably be Gus's. Father, who is the one who was yeah, uh, is even, after them and even then he, he's be- at the he, end he,
2: it come, he comes around doesn't he yeah it, and it's just of, like yeah. a sort
3: of old school like ah, everyone's happy you know let's have a sing
2: yeah. And to be, yeah to be fair to his credit she is just after Gus for his money hmm? but she makes a very good case at the end where it's like well I, I can't remember her exact words but it's like um you know maybe you don't pick a wife just because she's pretty but if she is pretty that's a heck of a bonus and why wouldn't you want that and it's the same for her with the money she's got obviously got this obsession with sort of being secure and having a lot of money and having nice things and i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that like she is very open about the fact that that is what she's doing and like she and dorothy have a conversation where she's like because Dorothy wants a man who's you know more physically attractive and kind of has more physical attributes and doesn't really care if he's rich or not. And they have this conversation where Lorelei is like, do you want to be stuck in a loveless marriage? Because if you haven't got money, you haven't got time to love one another. And I was like, I mean, that's not a million miles away from the truth. Like if you're yeah. always worried about bills, if you're worried about where your next meal's coming from, if you're just stressed out all the time, and if you have to work 50 hours a week, you can't nurture a relationship properly. Because you haven't got the time or the energy,
3: yeah. So that's a really yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's not that far away from reality, really, is it?
2: I mean, I don't think so. I mean, like, I it's it's not. You know, I don't feel that way. Like, my husband works in Weatherspoons. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're <laughs> we're never owning a mansion, but <laughs> it's but it makes sense. And I think from a time like, if you think like, what do you say, 1953? So we're talking like eight years after the war, like. If you've, she would have grown up through that time and kind of seen the desperation and kind of seen the aftermath of that. So it makes sense that then she would want the security.
3: It's true. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even think of that to be honest. But uh, so that's quite interesting. So let's move on to something I wanted to ask you about actually, because so something I was unsure, and this isn't necessarily a dislike, but so I was unsure how I was supposed to feel about particularly Lorelai because I couldn't tell if they were sort of. Horribly outdated stereotypes that are clearly been written, sort of clearly women written by a man of the time. Or if they were supposed to be playing up to it for their own benefit in a sort of playing dumb to take advantage of men, sort of dirty, rotten scoundrels, but female kind of way, if you catch my drift. So I was wondering, what do you what's your take on it and how do you feel about how do you feel about the portrayal of women, particularly those two in the film? I mean, are are Diamonds a girl's best friend, Alice? Oh no,
2: it's dogs for me. And I think <laughs> you know that, Josh. Come on. <laughs> After dogs? After dogs. Food? Yeah. Okay. Crisps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm not very materialistic. I don't, I don't wear any jewelry whatsoever. So that's not something that I can relate to. I've never been interested in diamonds, like they're a worthless bit of rock. Like mm. I'd rather have a nice car, thank you. Um, but I so I didn't have an issue with the way they were portrayed at all. I think the the whole kind of they, it's like they were just being the things that people always say that they are. Do you know what I mean? And I guess it's like you say they're playing up to those stereotypes, and it they never felt like they
3: were on. So like there's no. I think there's no, there's it doesn't never feels like there's any malice, does there?
2: I don't think so. And it's like they talk about it. They just they talk about what they want so openly as well. And it's it's that thing as well. Like I said, like you see you sort of in in this day and age or whatever it's like some you know a beautiful young 20 year old marries an 80 year old man who's on his deathbed and it's like oh grave robber gold digger and all this it's like whoa 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 what kind of 8 year old man marries a 20 year old <laughs> woman right cuz when you when you're talking about age differences like that it's if you're the older person you are so much more mature than that younger person so much more mature So you are taking advantage, but it's always the woman who kind of gets the blame for it.
3: You're not, you're not if you're 80 and you marry a 20-year-old who is, you know, you're marrying because she is very physically attractive, you're not getting nothing
2: out of it. What are you doing? What common ground have you got? Come on. It's like you're not she hasn't fallen in love with your winning personality, and she probably hasn't fallen in love with your stunning good looks. (laughs) But hey, listen, I this is just my opinion, and what do I know? But I think they're just, they're very upfront about it. They obviously have a goal in mind. To me, they are just two women who know what they want and want to get it. And if the men are aware of that and they're happy with it, then fine, go Mm. off and be happy. The only problem that I would have is that she does tell Gus that she wants to marry him, and then starts making a play for that 70-year-old man. Mm. So that's a bit naughty. If she'd have told Gus, oh, well, if you're not coming with me to France, then I don't want to know, and then started cracking on with the 70-year-old, that's fine, do what you want. But you're leading Gus on there, and that's not very fair. Mm. Whereas Dorothy doesn't really do that at all. Like, the PI is talking to her, and he's keeping a lot back from her. Like, for instance, that he's there to spy on her best friend. Um, but they kind of, she doesn't really hit on anyone else. Like she has those moments with the Olympic swim team, but we never really get any further than kind of just chatting, do we? He's the only, the PI whose name escapes me. He's the only one that she has like a close yeah, relationship she, with.
3: She she to spend a lot of the film um, sort of looking out for Lorelei, doesn't she, rather than mm. anything else. But no, you, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. So would you say it's more the film's portrayal of women is more empowering than it is stereotypical or critical?
2: I So I felt that way. Yeah. I did. And it made me think of, um, if we hop back to something like 40 Days and 40 Nights, where we thought that maybe them being so overtly sexual in that way was them trying to be empowered, and it just wasn't, and it was just horrible and gross. Whereas this was a bit different, and it was just... and Because they, are, they do have to put up with a lot as well. Like, they are showgirls. Like, I don't think... You're not... You know, little girls don't dream of being showgirls when they're older. You know, it's not, I can't imagine. Obviously, I can't speak for anybody. I can only speak for myself. But it's no one's dream to be leered at by men for a living. I just, it's, it's not the nicest feeling in the world. So they're doing that and they do get sort of, n- not sexually harassed, but like men are always leering at them. Men are always gawking at them. And this is them just saying, all right then. Take a look, but I'm coming for your money. That sort of thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you can you can objectify me, but I've got to get something out of it.
2: Yeah. And then they're fine with it. It's like, I want the cash. Giz it.
3: <laughs> in an unrelated note, um, Alice's husband turns 85 next week. So <laughs> very happy birthday to him. Can't wait uh, to <laughs>
2: cash in those checks. <laughs>
3: Um, so, well, I suppose we'll move on to anything that we didn't like. What Was there anything you didn't like in particular?
2: So the, the only thing really that I made note of was the scene in which they spike the man's drink. They spike the PI's drink. Oh, with, with the three, sleeping pills, yeah. With three sleeping pills that they crush up into his drink and trick him into drinking a cocktail of, it's something like gin, brandy, rum, vodka, scotch, like everything sort of mixed into one and they're... They're pretending to drink it too, but they're actually drinking water. Mm. Um, And obviously, that's meant to be funny, uh, but it's not. Like, spiking people ain't ever funny.
3: Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, actually, I, again, that's not something I considered. I just thought of it as a sort of, oh, you know, shenanigans type thing. But it's, well, not, and it's not, not cool, is it really? If it was, do you know what, if it was the other way around, if he was trying to do it to one of them to try and. Exactly. It wouldn't be cool, would it? So that's Exactly. And yeah. um,
2: there's two of them, there's only one of him. He's got no one else on that boat with him. He's got no mm. one looking out for him. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't into that. Obviously, you know, it's it, it's not a serious film, and they it wasn't... Like, the tone of the film, despite, like, some of the subject matter and some of the content, it just never felt malicious. But I do wonder, sort of having, you know, saying everything kind of about the women and how I feel about them and stuff, if because it's from so long ago... If you there's kind of like that degree of separation, isn't there? Like, if this was a film released five years ago, I don't know if I would feel the same way about the characters. There's just something about when you're watching something this old, where you do just kind of separate it a little bit, I suppose, from reality. Um, But no, yeah, not into a drink spiking at the best of times.
3: There's almost, along with a suspension of disbelief, there's almost a a suspension of, like sociological criticism, I suppose. Is a, I know that's a posh way of saying it, but the way you look at something like 40 Days and 40 Nights or American Pie, and you go, God, this is only 20 years old, and that's not really cool. Whereas this is like nearly 70 years old. So you go, well, it's not like that, but it is, you know, it's it's this old. So I, I know what you mean. I mean, because like the only real criticism I had was, I, I would... I know I said I didn't know how I f- how to feel about them, but that wasn't really a criticism. But one thing I would say is there was an element of times when the portrayal of uh, pretty much all the characters went a little bit cartoony. Mm-hmm. So, like, all the f- characters, when they go into, into France, are, like, cartoon twirly-moustache French guys, aren't they? Like, they're all, like... R- they all speak like Inspector Clouseau from the Pink Panther and stuff like that, or... Um, even even the portrayal of them sometimes the portrayal, of particularly Laura, uh, Laura it's like she there's a bit where she tries a tiara on she doesn't know how to wear it.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. and it's
3: and, and it's like if you're a showgirl, it literally starts with them wearing a big he- a big headdress. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't you know how to wear a tiara? Because it's almost the same thing. It's just one's bigger than the other. Or there is even a bit where one of them suggests to the other one marrying a teenage boy because he's rich. Yeah, but, And and stuff like that, it didn't take me out of the film. I just thought it was an example of like, well, that's a bit dated. It's a bit too cartoony. I can forgive it for, for the fact that, like I say, it's almost 70 years old, but if I had a criticism, it'd be that.
2: Yeah, interesting what you say about the tiara bit as well, because there is that kind of almost feeling that she might be putting it on. And mm. I mean, not the tiara, because she didn't know how, but that she might be faking how ditzy she is and it's like oh if you think I'm this blonde airhead I'll be this blonde airhead that you think I am you just don't know keeps you guessing and she
3: even says in it like we said before she even says I can be smart when I have to but men don't like it yeah which so that pretty much lends strength to what you've just said doesn't it that she's being an airhead because it allows her to get closer to men who have the the satisfaction and quality of life that she wants mm. so fair enough if that's if that's what you want So let's move on to talking about the critical reception. Then. Now, obviously, you picked this one because it's a classic film. So we want to know if it's deserving of being a classic, having its classical status, shall we say. So according to IMDb, well, as you know, before that, what? how do you think it did? Do you think it is critically well acclaimed as a classic, or do you think it's more that the legacy and the iconography and the famous sort of images of Marilyn Monroe and all that around the film make it a classic? What do you think it is?
2: I reckon... I think it did pretty well, and I do. I do think it's deserving of being a classic. It's it's a tricky one because obviously, when they when they already are a classic, it's like how do you sort of try and divide kind of what the world already thinks and kind of how you feel just seeing it straight off the bat. But obviously, Marilyn Monroe is an icon. Like I think she, you could probably say that she is recognizable the world over. Like, she's one of the most, sort of financially, I think, one of the most successful actors of all time, like, in, in her short career. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. And actually, as well, thinking about it, the, the whole notion of Diamonds being a girl's best friend and that song, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, that's all still very much alive today mm. and kind of in in the zeitgeist. Um, so I reckon it is a classic. And I if I was marking it, if i was marking it i'd probably give it a high 7 probably wouldn't creep over into the 8 the thing is as well like there's nothing wrong with it like even te- like technically it was quite good like the editing was good like all the sound was good like it it was the way it was constructed and everything was good the way they told the story was good so maybe not nah, not quite an 8 it's not quite hitting the 8s for me so i'd reckon like maybe a 7.8 is what i would give it
3: so according to IMDB it gets 7.2 out of 10 at time of recording Ooh. but slightly differently on Rotten Tomatoes the audience give it 83% oh wow yeah but the critics give it 98% wow which is pretty Ooh, which, is pretty, which is pretty high so i mean wow. i mean for me a look I'm I'm sort of agree I'm in agreement with you in terms of how good it is. It's not for me, it's not ninety-eight percent good.
0: But, no. but <laughs>
3: that's that's like well, was it Meet Me in St. Louis It was a hundred? Hundred. So yeah. I mean, you know, that's just ridiculously high. However, I do think, same as yourself, I think it's it is deserving of its classic status. I mean, it's not one that I myself would be in a massive rush to watch again. But that's not because of any criticism with it. It's just it didn't hit um it didn't it didn't hit home with me. I can't really put my finger on what it is that wouldn't make me watch it again. It might just be, I don't know. It, it, it Maybe it's the whole thing about being unsure of the depiction of, of those two as leads, or it might just be that it's older and it's just not, something that I'm interested in, but I'd give it I'll give it the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the portrayal of the lead characters because their sort of chemistry and their charisma really does take it through. I think it I think to be honest, I think it deserves to be a classic because of just how iconic it is. I mean the diamonds are the girls best friend scene. I mean straight away you think of Material Girl by Madonna which is obviously oh, oh, yeah, the, the music certainly. video is 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 you know it's a parody of that. It's a tribute to that. And and like you say it's regardless of the fact it's a little dated at points it's proper old school hollywood glamour and i think it's probably out i think it's iconic outside of the film i think it's more it's like more associated with its own legacy like like things like material girl so the film itself was fine but the iconography and the things that everyone remember its legacy like i've said are what make it classic marilyn monroe diamonds are a girl's best friend all that sort of thing
2: yeah, it's when the things kind of seep through over the decades, like with the great dictator and, yeah. and his speech and how that is still used today. I think as well, with with Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe together, they had such gravitas on screen. I just thought they, they just brought something, I guess the star quality or that star power when they were together. And then when I think about kind of what life would have been like for women in the 1950s, like probably not that great. Like I still, I think it was still legal to rape your wife in those times. It was still very much, you're a housewife, like you're going to stay home and not get a job. And then here's these two women who just kind of come out, tell the world what they want and then go and get it.
3: So there we go, another classic film done and another classic film deserving of its status, shall we say.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. I think if you can still see its influences today, then it's definitely deserving of a classic status. So, Josh, what are we going to be watching for next
3: week? Next week, we're going to be watching a film called Happy Go Lucky, which is a Mike Lee film. Oh,
2: interesting. I definitely... I don't think I've seen that one. Okay, fun
3: so yeah there you go tune in next week for Happy Go Lucky do feel free to give it a watch and listen along with us Um, we'd like to hear from you as well if you could get in touch with us it's uh, justfilmsandthatpod on all the old social media our website is uh, justfilmsandthatpod.com and the email address is filmsandthatpod at gmail.com well we'll see you next week for Happy Go Lucky Alice thank you very much for joining me as ever thank you Josh pleasure as always and it's goodbye from me cheerio bye